Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit and radio loyalty. Welcome to our broadcast here. Michael Priv is with us. The 5th Battalion is the latest from him. The book is fiction, but the author expresses a message of hope with it. We are all very similar in many ways. You can easily find a whole lot in common, be it different races, different genders, different religions, different ages, even different species from different planets. And he joins us today here on our big broadcast. You saw history happening firsthand, like when uh, Boris Yeltsin went down. Talk to us a little bit about this. Yeah, well, okay, so, you know, so Soviet Union collapsed in 1991 uh, because of the um, actions of then-President uh, Gorbachev that went out of hand, and um, it ended up with Lithuania seeding uh, from the Union, and then everybody else followed suit, and the whole place just collapsed. So that was in 91. So uh, when, you know, with that kind of freedom that kind of was established at the time, um, people revolted kind of against the Communist Party, and it ended up being um, disbanded and actually banned. So basically Gorbachev banned the Communist Party and completely redid the government, and uh, the backlash from the Communists was a military uprising toward the end of 1991. Um, So tanks came into the city, and uh, it was, uh, you know, it was a military action and so forth, and uh, President Gorbachev got scared and ran away. So at that point, there was no government at all. And uh, the tanks were coming in, and nobody stepped uh, forward. And then suddenly a guy stepped forward, and he was not, he was probably one of the least qualified guys in the entire uh, Gorbachev's uh, government, but he was the only one who stepped forward, and his name was uh, Boris Yeltsin, and he was in charge of the parks, you know. So in, in, in Gorbachev's uh, government, he was in charge of the parks and recreation, you know. So he stepped forward and he uh, addressed the masses, so to speak, and he said, if you want communists, now is your time. If you don't want communists, if you want uh, the democracy, then you have to do something, you know. You have to actually come and protect and defend and, uh, you know, um, start doing something. So anyway, so so crowds of people of, like, half a million and a million strong were, you know, stood up against those tanks, and they stopped those tanks. And, of course, the tanks uh, actually, like, ran over a few people, and that was, uh, you know, um, also kind of used to basically to stop them and so forth. And basically they lost this uh, PR war, and um, and the communists were done. You know, that was all toward the end of 1991, and Yeltsin became the president, and nobody ever actually elected him. So he said that I am not uh, an elected president, I am not actually a president at all, uh, uh, you know, I am a temporary guy, and we'll have a new election, but right now let's just do the democracy, and whatever you guys want to propose as far as another president, just go ahead and do it, anybody wants to replace me, just any time. So anyway, nobody wanted to replace him uh, all the way from 1991 to 1999. So he, wasn't, he was there for a long time. But anyway, but in 91, um, yeah, 91, 92, 
uh, he did a lot of actions to like groundwork to establish the democracy and different things like for example parliament which was actually duly elected and stuff and there was a lot of excitement in the country right when i was there it was all very exciting it did seem like they were they were going to have democracy which actually you know eventually like we see now is completely gone but at the time there was a lot of hope you know it was a very exciting time so then so he 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 put together the parliament which was an actual parliament that represented the will of the people you know uh, officially and so forth and did other different laws and constitution and so forth but then this parliament got together and they decided to impeach him even though he never even claimed to be a president but they basically tried to impeach him and reinstate a communist government that was their decision and that uh, you know that was a binding decision it was a legal and binding decision by a legal uh, legislative body that was duly convened and there was nothing illegal about that decision it just wasn't decision that we you know wanted to hear but it was actually a legal decision but Yeltsin uh, basically said that uh, you know that the parliament is you know full of crap basically and they're not uh, you know they're not uh, going to basically get the communists back and they should all disband and stuff of like that and basically so he started kind of a verbal PR war between uh, the president and the parliament and the parliament ordered the army uh, to come in and take out Yeltsin and, and the army is under parliament by Russian constitution so the army didn't budge because different people in the army wanted different things and as a result they all had uh, held each other at gunpoint and nobody moved so the army didn't come so then the parliament ordered the police which wasn't a legal order because uh, the police is under the ministry of internal affairs and minister of internal affairs told them to stay put so they stayed put and then they all, all ordered the KGB troops, which is called internal security troops, the VV troops, the kind of like riot control troops and punitive uh, forces that exist in every city in there. So the internal security troops don't take orders from the parliament. They take orders uh, from the Committee of State Security, which is the KGB. And the Committee of State Security instead confined them to the barracks and canceled all the liberties. So basically, they couldn't get any way to implement their order. So they ended up hiring 860 mercenaries from the nearby uh, Moldova and Ukraine that were at war at the time. You know, when when Soviet Union collapsed, there were many small wars all, all around it between you know different uh, former republics. So anyway, so this uh, 860 mercenaries they came in on nine, uh, 90, 96 armored personnel carriers with huge red flags and I almost like you know like when I saw it on TV I just like you know I was really scared you know it just really looked like uh, like this was not going to <coughs> end well but anyway so they came into the city and they went to the parliament building um, to defend it and then they tried to advance on Kremlin to take out Yeltsin and I and about half a million other people were there at the Kremlin uh, to greet them, which was an incredible, 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 amazing experience. When people without any leader, without any agenda, you know, just like voluntarily, you know, like, I don't know how else to say it, just because of their beliefs, they all came in here to stand up against 860 heavily armed soldiers, you know, in battle vehicles, you know, and uh, nobody, you know, was organizing anything, but everything was organized. Like I saw, like field hospitals being organized. 
you know, being organized with nurses, you know, uh, laying out their little, you know, stuff, you know, bandages and all that. I mean, it was just incredible. There were women and other people carrying water around to give people water. There was some lady carrying uh, little cartons of milk. You know, there were, there were meetings and, and, and speeches and stuff like that. So anyway, so we spent the night there in front of Kremlin, and these guys, they didn't, you know, they tried to advance toward Kremlin, but then they turned away because, I mean, half a million crowd is a huge crowd, and, you know, they couldn't win the PR war in any any case, you know. So anyway, they turned back, and then next day, um, they advanced on uh, the TV and media hub, uh, which is called Astankino, and they assembled a huge crowd, about 100,000 people crowd of uh, communist supporters and the way it, they, it was assembled was also interesting and i also saw it basically trucks with vodka this vodka would stop and start distributing vodka to people and turn these people immediately into communist supporters and these crowds were huge well according to uh, the comment uh, you know the tv and media was about a hundred thousand people so okay so about 400 mercenaries and about a hundred thousand drunks they moved toward the Astankino to take, uh, to take out the media hub. And Yeltsin ordered the only troops under his command that were Kremlin ceremonial guards, 250 ceremonial guards. So the shortest one of them is six foot six, and they all are ceremonial. They can twirl rifles and goose step and all that, but they're not real soldiers. So he dispatched 125 of those uh, to Astankino, and they were deployed on the roof. And then this soldier just absolutely kicked butt. It just was absolutely incredible to behold. It was all on TV because, you know, the camera crews were everywhere. And, uh, you know, the way they advanced through these corridors and securing corridors, those were these Kremlin guards were just crack special forces units second to none, you know. It's totally unexpected. Everybody thought that they were Kremlin rifles, you know. They were just absolute you know, incredible professional. So anyway, so they kicked these uh, mercenaries down, all the way down into the lobby, and pinned them under this huge balcony. It's kind of like they had in this, in their kind of like a <clears throat> mezzanine or something like a mezzanine. So the Kremlin guards were on top, or you know, on that mezzanine, and um, all this, uh, you know, surviving uh, whatever <laughs> couple dozen. Uh, you know, mercenaries were under this mezzanine, and the shooting was incredible. And then one of these, uh, or some of these, you know, uh, mercenaries, they stole a city bus and rammed through the uh, through the glass wall of the of huge, like, glass wall. So they basically rammed through, and, and you know, of course, this bus got to evacuate their, their mercenaries. Of course, this bus was shot to shreds immediately. All the tires blew up. You know, and there, and there are marble floors in there, and this bus was just like making like huge amounts of sparks, you know, riding on, on, on the rims, you know, across the floor, uh, you know, to, to, to provide the protection cover for these mercenaries, and they were able to get out. But from the looks of it, maybe a couple dozen out of 400, that's about how many made it out of the building. Just an incredible battle. And it was one. So, and then next day, four tanks, uh, heavy uh, T-90 tanks, entered the city, and they drove straight to the uh, parliament building. 
and announced uh, the lieutenant in charge, basically, and a completely rogue, you know. And uh, the lieutenant in charge announced, announced that he is going to enforce the order of the president for the parliament to disband, um, and he doesn't consider this, uh, you know, the order for communists to return as a legal order, and they're going to shoot each tank one shot at the parliament building every 30 minutes until uh, they disband. And there was nothing in the city that could take out a T-90 tank. You know, there were a lot of discussions about it on TV and ex, you know, retired generals and all that. But basically, yeah, there, nobody could do anything to them. So they were shooting, I think they shot a total of 12 shots. Most of them went into the windows, but some of them didn't. And basically, you know, and, you know, so the building got kind of, you know, beat up a little. Um, it's a beautiful building. But anyway, so finally, basically, the parliament um, gave up. They surrendered and um, democracy was saved. Now, when I was there, and I was there by one of the tanks when they were shooting, and I was in the middle of all this, I thought that here, you know, in the West, people know all about it. And the United Nations is, is working on it, and uh, everybody in the U.S. is sitting at the, on the edge of their seat. And, uh, you know, as it turned out, because Yeltsin, basically, Yeltsin's actions were illegal, you know, um, you know, uh, and, and the parliament was actually legally correct, you know. For that reason, uh, everybody kind of dropped them, and nobody here knew anything. And when I came here and started telling people things, they were just totally shocked. But that's what was happening at the time. Yeah, democracy uh, won because of these four rogue tanks. Oh, yeah, uh, an interesting thing then is uh, Yeltsin got on the horn uh, after that and said that uh, his orders are to kill every mercenary on site. He didn't want any of them surviving, which, of course, is suspicious, and there was a lot of different conspiracy theories about it. But basically, yeah, but then for several days, thousands and thousands of soldiers were running around chasing after the several hundred mercenaries who were trying to escape from the town, and there was so much shooting and killing, it was unbelievable. I don't even know. I witnessed several of these skirmishes with people dying one time about 50 feet from me, you know. The guy was riddled with, with, with bullets from about six AKs. Um, anyway, we still, I still don't know why he ordered them killed. Um, no idea. But anyway, it was all very exciting, and uh, democracy won. So that was good. We've got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. He is absolutely amazing, Michael Priv. And um, Michael, uh, before we let you go, my friend, and in fact, actually, we will probably... Uh, Let's do this. We're gonna we're gonna skip this break. We're gonna go ahead and keep talking here to uh, to Michael. He is uh, absolutely amazing, and he joins us today here on the big broadcast. And um, Michael's latest book, The Fifth Battalion, is now available. Now, how do your experiences inspire your writing? Well, one thing, you know, something happened to me. I'll tell you, something happened to me. Are you, you know, even now I can't like talk straight about that night, that one night in, in, in front of a Kremlin, you know, as a part of, you know, half a million crowds uh, of people who were completely, you know, basically ready to die, you know, 
there was like because you see mercenaries from Moldova, you know, or or from Ukraine don't have any big sentiments against you know driving over people or shooting people with 50 caliber machine guns or if those people are russian you see like everybody hated russian that's why they separated right away you know i'm from ukraine myself i'm a ukrainian we hated russian you know many people would like pay money to be able to shoot russians with 50 caliber machine guns so nobody expected <laughs> any huge mercy you know yes so so and and and, and all those people were there not because they were russians you know, that had nothing to do with it. They wanted democracy. You know, they wanted freedom, you know. And even though nobody uh, organized them, and there was absolutely no leader anywhere. Nothing, yes, you know? yes. But, but these people, the, the power, you know, I never experienced that. So anyway, so something happened with me at that time. And I can, uh, since then, I am very interested in the spiritual. You know, there is a power, there is a hidden power. That hidden power is not in the, you know, liver. Yes. It's not in the spleen. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So anyway, so, so yeah, so, so this book um, has a lot to do with the spiritual. You know, it has basically a spiritual message. The First of all, that we are immortal. You know, it's a science fiction book. You know, take it as you want to take it, you know. Uh, but I do believe that we are immortal, and I have my reasons to believe that. At this point, because you know, I advanced quite far in my own studies and stuff like that. But anyway, in any case, the book, uh, the Fifth Battalion, the whole premise is that we don't die; we are spirits. And okay, so here's the problem: if you have a spirit uh, which is bad, you know, which is uh, creating harmful acts, uh, basically a, a criminal, uh, you know, who is incorrigible, you know, like basically a recidivist, uh, recidivist uh, criminal, what would be the way for the society to deal with such a criminal? And my solution that I came up, well, I mean, I don't like the solution, but uh, the solution that I kind of gave to this, to this society, which is called Murabi Empire, uh, was to um, kill them, kill the body, which is basically nothing, but also uh, kill the body with, with giving a certain message to this spirit and torturing it to death. And that message is basically to forget their spiritual nature and sp forget where they're from and their true capabilities and turn them into one-life animals. And then transmit them to, to a really distant planet, which is actually all a prison, you know, and, and then they're born there into the ocean and they're born, you know, they come out in this ocean, they come out ashore, so to speak, and they find another body and they don't remember anything. They're just like, you know, and, you know, the reason for that is that so they can never co go back. Because how else do you get rid of an immortal spirit, you know? First, you have to convince him that he is mortal. And second, you can take his memory away so he doesn't remember where he came from or, or what's happening, you know? So, okay. So, and all these people, all these criminals and stuff, how much, you know, <clears throat> how good these people are. Yes, there are criminal, um, criminal, uh, you know, habits and proclivities and prevailing different little things and schemes and many things are going on on this planet. But if you look closer at these people, like the amount of self-sacrifice and honor that these people have and their willingness to, to, to do a good job, you know, for each other and to stand up for each other and stuff like that is completely mind-blowing, you know. And that's kind of like what I kind of learned 
in that one night, you know, it's kind of was a turning point for me uh, in Moscow, you know, um, where actually nothing happened. Now, here is an interesting thing. So n nobody actually attacked us. Uh, so this half a million people crowd uh, by, by the Kremlin, nobody died, you know. But still, I was there that night, and, and it just affected me tremendously, you know. So We've got a, a great guest with us today. He joins us live, Michael Priv, on our broadcast. Fifth Battalion is the latest from him. Now, uh, as we let you go, my friend, how do people get the book? How do we pick up uh, your stuff? How do we connect with you online? Uh, everything. Give us all the details. Well, I think the easiest is on Amazon. Uh, if you just um, search for Michael Priv, uh, my last name is just four letters, P as in Peter, R-I-V as in Victor. Uh used to be Privorotsky, uh, but it was too long for me to spell, and uh, right or wrong, but I shortened it to Priv many, many years ago. Um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I, I have many books in there. I have, uh, uh, you know, and obviously I have Fifth Battalion uh, as well. Um other than that, um, what should I give my phone number or? Well, uh, we're 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 good. We'll have you get in. We'll have people get in touch. I've got to go, my friend. Our next guest is calling us, and uh, we okay. have got to get to them. But uh, Michael, I appreciate it, and uh, thanks for being with us yeah. today. Yes, James. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much. Much appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you, Michael. There goes Michael Priv. We're going to take a break. Our next guest is patiently waiting on the telephone. We'll get to them here in just a few seconds. Let's play. Let's play. Attention, this is a public notice from Citizens Disability. If you are one of the millions of Americans who are disabled and unable to work, you may be entitled to disability benefits from Social Security. Receiving benefits is your right if you suffer from a physical or mental disability. Whether you're applying for the first time or you've already been denied, Citizens Disability can help. You'll be given an advocate who will evaluate your situation, handle your application, and deal with Social Security. Best of all, there is no fee until you receive your benefits. We only get paid if you win your case. To get started with your free no-obligation consultation, call 800-504-1639. That's 800-504-1639. There are a vast number of conditions that can make you eligible for disability benefits, many that you may not be aware of. So if you're disabled and unable to work, Call Citizens Disability today. Again, that's 800-504-1639. 800-504-1639. That's Citizens Disability. 800-504-1639. If your credit card bills have gotten out of hand, call Consolidated Credit now. They can consolidate your debts, reduce your interest rates, and get you out of debt fast. Call Consolidated Credit now. 800-404-0907. 800-404-0907. That's 800-404-0907. Consolidated Credit Counseling Services Incorporated. 5701 West Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. 33313. Not a loan company. Licensed by the New York Department of Financial Services and by the Vermont Department of Financial Regulation. Maryland DM-19. Oregon DM-80031. Licensed by Virginia State Corporation Commission DC-32. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. 
To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-809-5785. A Place for Mom offers free one-on-one advice from local advisors and a personalized list of senior living communities you can visit. If you have questions about senior care for your mom or dad, there's a place for answers, a place for mom. Call a place for mom in the next 10 minutes to get your free ebook on financing senior care as well as free information on senior living communities in your area. Call 1-800-809-5785. That's 1-800-809-5785. If you owe $10,000 or more to the IRS and you cannot afford to make payments to the IRS, you may qualify for the CNC tax program. This is a new program, and if you qualify, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Once you're accepted into this program, the IRS is forced to stop all harassing collection activities. No threatening phone calls, no wage garnishments, no bank levies, and no more monthly payments to the IRS. Get ready to write this number down. It's the most important number you'll ever need to end your IRS tax nightmare. Call Paramount Tax Relief at 800-549-6183 for a free confidential consultation to find out if you qualify for the CNC tax program. Once you are accepted into the CNC tax program, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Call Paramount Tax Relief now at 800-549-6183. That's 800-549-6183. Again, 800-549-6183. It's a minute report for America. As the United States Supreme Court opens what may be one of its most significant sessions in recent years, one controversial matter will not come before it. The contentious battle over the president's prior travel ban, temporary executive order, which has expired. It appears that the new version answers the objections, many based on rather shaky legal grounds, that were levied against the original executive order and argued in the hyper-politicalized Ninth Circuit. The role of the judicial branch in this matter remains questionable. The law clearly provides the president with the authority to govern the subject matter, as noted by Section 212F of the Immigration and Naturalization Act. However, some of the opponents to the White House travel ban have lined up against the current version as well. The ACLU has reasserted the argument that the EO, the executive order, was anti-Muslim. I'm Frank Fernuccio. Read more at usagovpolicy.com. Jiggy Jaguar, the 2008 Community Access Television Rookie of the Year, and the Jiggy Jaguar they Radio hate Show that. on the network and JiggyJaguar.com. I think they've erased that from their uh, archives. They don't like the fact I won an award when I was at Access. They've been trying to stop me from coming through the door ever since I came through the door in 2007. Now it's Salina Media Connection. It's headed up by a chef. I don't know why. Uh, Stephen J. Bisteritz is going to join us here in just a few moments. He is a doctor. He is not a chef. He's not Chef Pope. Chef Pope getting ready to lose his head, Chef. And there is Stephen, I believe. That's our guest. Uh, he is the president and founder of SellXL.com, a sales training and consulting company. And he's with us today. He's also the author of a best-selling book just released in its second edition, Selling to the C-Suite, what every executive wants you to know about successfully selling to the top. He joins us today here on a big broadcast. Now, um, let's talk, doctor, about some of the common misconceptions about C-level executives, how they can create problems for those who attempt to sell to the C-Suite. 
Well, you know, typically salespeople are very reluctant to call on C-level executives, mainly because they're intimidated by the rank of those executives. But what executives told us was that if the salesperson can deliver value to them, they want to hear from them. So that's why it's important for the salesperson to keep that in mind as they're making their calls on executives. But most importantly, executives also told us that they want salespeople to listen to them before proposing a solution. So don't go in there and try to show up and throw up with a sales pitch or a glad hand social call. They're not looking for that. They're looking for the value that you can deliver to them. And you've got to be able to communicate that to them in a short time frame. We've got Stephen Jay with us today. He is a great doctor, and uh, he is the president and founder of com. Check out com. The best ways to gain access to the executive level. Talk to us about this. Well, what executives told us was the best way to get to them is either through a lower-level executive or a lower-level person in their organization who has credibility with them, or what I tell salespeople is use the gatekeeper as a resource. In fact, I take it one step further. Treat the gatekeeper as if he or she is the executive himself or herself. Treat them with the same deference and respect that you treat a C-level executive. They'll often give you some advice and some insight into what's on the executive's mind, and they'll help you get to them. I can't tell you how many times gatekeepers have helped me get to executives throughout my career. We've got a great guest with us today, the website sellxl.com. Check out the website, sellxl.com. Talk to us about how to identify the relevant executive for the sales opportunity. Exactly. This is something that salespeople really need to focus on when they're trying to look for which executive should they really get to in the client organization. Not only to get to that executive, but also to align with that executive. Because the relevant executive, from my definition, is the executive who stands to gain the most or lose the most as it relates to the outcome of the project or application that's associated with the sales opportunity. So what I tell salespeople is you've got to sit on the other side of the desk and view your sales opportunity from the client's perspective. Which application or project are they focused on? And which executive has his or her neck on the line for that particular project? We've got a great guest with us today. Uh, the good doctor joins us today, sellexcel.com. That's exactly the website. Check out sellexcel.com. Uh, talk to us about the impact of digital natives reaching the ballroom. I'm sorry? I didn't get the last question. Talk to, us, talk to us a little about the impact of digital natives and reaching the boardroom. Oh, okay. The, um, today's digital media has a huge impact because what's happening is that executives today, they own the buying process. 
and they're leveraging the Internet. They're conducting their own research, and they want immediate value. They start that buying process much earlier using social media. For example, they're looking the salesperson up on LinkedIn. They want to see what that salesperson's background is and why that salesperson you know, should even be talking to them and meeting with them in their office. What kind of credibility does that salesperson have? So you've got to make sure that your LinkedIn profile is focused on how you can help customers solve problems. Because in a recent survey, we found that 75% of C-suite buyers are using LinkedIn and accessing LinkedIn before the salesperson even meets with them. We've got a great guest with us today. Uh, the good doctor joins us here on a broadcast. Check out sellexcel.com. That's sellexcel.com. Coming up here in our next segment, we will talk to A.K. Patch with Patches of History. Now, talk to us about how online tools and social media are revolutionizing the way executives buy. Well, like I said before, sell, you know, sell buyers today, executive buyers, they're leveraging the Internet. They're conducting their own research. They want to know about the products and services that are out there. They know about a lot of your competitors' products. They know about your products and services before you meet with them. So your focus has to be on value. You've got to do your own research using the Internet to find out about the client's industry, about the client company, and then about the client executive himself or herself. You need to do that homework before you even pick up the phone and try to make an appointment with an executive in the C-suite. We've got a great guest with us today, the head man over at SellExcel.com. He joins us today here in a big broadcast. Talk to us about how salespeople can establish and sustain trust and credibility at the executive level. Well, you know, credibility with executives is really the intersection of capability and integrity. And if you operate... In both of those planes, you're operating in what I call the client value zone. And that's when you can become perceived as the trusted advisor of the executive. This is also where the relationship can become collaborative, where the executive looks for how they can help you. So not only are you helping them solve problems, they're looking for ways to help you if you create that trusted advisor type of relationship. And ultimately, that's the kind of relationship you want to have with a C-suite executive. You want to be perceived as that trusted advisor to the executive. But you can only do that if you sustain integrity and capability over some time frame. It's not going to happen in an hour meeting. It's going to take you some time to build that trust and to show that capability to the executive. We've got a great guest with us today. The good doctor joins us. He's the founder of SellExcel.com, and he has his great best-selling book just released in its second edition, Selling to the C-Suite, 
what every executive wants you to know about successfully selling to the top. And he joins us today here on Skype Audio. Now, uh, Doctor, uh, tell us a little bit about the book. Why did you decide to write this book? Well, we decided to write the book initially because what we found was there were no books out there on selling that were really designed and developed from the executive's perspective. So if we're talking about selling to the C-suite, what we did was went out and do some research with C-level executives where we asked them about their relationships with professional salespeople. We asked them when they got involved in the buying process, what does a salesperson have to do to establish credibility with you? What has to happen in a meeting for the executive to feel that it was an effective meeting? And what are executives looking for in strategic relationships with suppliers? That was, that was what we focused on. So that research then helped us design, first of all, a workshop on selling to executives, and then the book came out of the workshop. So the workshop actually came first, and then we wrote the book after the workshop was successful and we had delivered it to thousands of professional salespeople. Now, uh, why did you decide, uh, as, 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 as far as the book itself, what did you decide, how did you decide to include certain information in the book? How did you decide to what? I'm sorry, you're breaking up a little bit. Uh, sorry, James. What information? How did you decide to include what information in the book? Okay, well, we you know we looked at when we de- designed the workshop, the first thing we did, like, like I said before, was design the workshop. And the workshop really focused on a couple of main areas. For example, it focused on why call on executives? Why should salespeople ever call at the executive level? Why not just call on the purchasing department? Number two, how do you identify that relevant executive and then start to align with that executive? How do you gain access to the executive? How do you establish your credibility? How do you create your value? Those then became almost the chapters for the book. And again, the book is very much aligned with my one-day workshop on yes. selling to executives. Yes. We have, uh, we're have. going to be talking to A.K. Patch here in just a few moments. Patches of history coming up here on our uh, big broadcast. But uh, we've got the good doctor with us today from SellExcel.com. Check out the website, SellExcel.com. He has got the brand-new book. It is a best-selling book. It's just been released in its second edition, Selling to the C-Suite, what every executive wants you to know about successfully selling to the top. And he's with us today here on Skype Audio. Um, tell us a a little bit about some of the reviews and uh, some of the critiques you've gotten on the book so far. Well, you know, the reviews came in very quickly because what we did was we originally created a PDF of the book and then sent it out to people in the sales profession. For example, one of the key people that received the book very early in the process was Neil Rackham. And let me tell you what Neil said. Neil is the, is the creator of Spin Selling. That is the most famous 
best-selling book on the market for professional salespeople. And he said the following. I'm going to quote from him. The business world is drowning in a flood of sales books. The trouble is that these books are about how to sell without a clue about how customers buy. And so they do more harm than good. This book is different. It is firmly rooted in how executives buy so it works. And he became so excited about the book, we said, hey, Neil, would you help us out and write the forward for the book, which is what he did. So his forward appears right in the front of that book, which is where we want it. We actually highlight him on the cover, Neil Rackham, who wrote Spin Selling. Absolutely amazing. We've got a great guest with us today. He has got a fantastic book, Selling to the C-Suite. What every executive wants you to know about successfully selling to the top. And uh, as we let you go, my friend, how do people get the book? How do they access you online, social media, websites, all these things? How do we find you? Okay. Well, first of all, they can go to Amazon right now. It's there. It just came out about a week ago, but it's available. And, again, order the second edition. It has a red cover. The first one had a blue cover. But this one is much better and much uh, much more information in it, jam-packed with information for salespeople. Go to my website, as you mentioned before, SellXL, SellExtraLarge, SellXL.com. You can find out more about me, my book, my workshops, and um, much information about selling to executives. There's a couple of videos on that website, too, that you might want to take a look at, two-minute videos. Well, it's absolutely amazing. I appreciate you making time. We've got to get to AK Patch, so uh, I've got to let you go, my friend, but we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much, James. I loved being on. Appreciate it. There goes the doctor, and uh, we are going to take a brief break. When we come back, we will talk to AK Patch. Patches of history coming up. $10,000 or more to the IRS and you cannot afford to make payments to the IRS, you may qualify for the CNC tax program. This is a new program, and if you qualify, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Once you're accepted into this program, the IRS is forced to stop all harassing collection activities. No threatening phone calls, no wage garnishments, no bank levies, and no more monthly payments to the IRS. Get ready to write this number down. It's the most important number you'll ever need to end your IRS tax nightmare. Call Paramount Tax Relief at 800-549-6183 for a free confidential consultation to find out if you qualify for the CNC tax program. Once you are accepted into the CNC tax program, you won't make any payments to the IRS while in this program. Call Paramount Tax Relief now at 800-549-6183. That's 800-549-6183. Again, 800-549-6183. Hello, everybody. I'm Kip Marlowe, author of The Entrepreneur's Success and Sacrifice. If you're interested in starting a business, growing your current one, or just need some inspiration, this is the book for you. Learn the secrets of success from entrepreneurs like Arlene Neen, who just started her seventh company at the age of 96. Order it at ecrsuccess.com or at Amazon and learn 22 stories 
of ordinary people who became wildly successful. It could change your life. If you're over the age of 50 and considering buying an annuity in the next 60 days, I have some important news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you understand the pros and cons of annuities. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income from television host and three-time author Josh Melberg has been released. This book reveals little-known truths about annuity strategies in simple-to-understand terms. Grab a pen right now because we are about to offer you this free book that unlocks the five little-known secrets we believe baby boomers and seniors should know before buying an annuity. Call 800-835-0176 now and you'll receive a free copy of Josh Milberg's book, Next Gen Annuity Strategies Revealed. As a bonus, we'll also send you a copy of The Number One Mistakes Retirees Are Making With Their Investments Today and a free DVD on how you can get up to 33% more income in retirement. Call 800-835-0176 now. Again, that's 800-835-0176. Employees of J.D. Milberg Financial have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. Dan Perkins here for Songs and Stories for Soldiers with your veterans tip of the day. Did you know that the suicide rate for women vets is 12 times that of their sisters in civilian life? Did you know that one in four women vets feel uncomfortable about talking to people about their mental health issues? Did you know almost 600,000 women vets in America are suffering from PTSD? It's time to help. It's time for all of us to encourage our sisters, mothers, and wives to get help by contacting their local VA hospital clinic or community-based health care center. So if you know a woman vet that is suffering, go to va.gov and find their nearest VA facility. This has been Dan Perkins of Songs and Stories for Soldiers.us with your veterans tip of the day. Jiggy Jaguar, the 2008 Community Access Television Rookie of the Year, and the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Show on the network and jiggyjaguar.com. Welcome back to our big broadcast. It is Patches of History time, and uh, Alan K. Patch is going to join us here in just a few moments. The retired Navy captain and historian. His books, Passage of Delphi and Delphi's Chosen, are now available. Check out akpatchauthor.com. And today's Patches of History, the legacy of the USS Lexington. Around 76 years ago, the aircraft carrier USS Lexington, Lady Lex, helped to stop a Japanese attack on New Guinea and possibly Australia in the Battle of the Coral Sea on May 4th. This is an amazing, amazing 1942. During the battle, the ship was damaged and sunk. But just recently it was found two miles down on the ocean floor. Author and historian A.K. Patch is here to tell us more about the ship and the pivotal battle in which her crew fought. Patch, how are you, my friend? All right, good. Good to be back with you, Jiggy. This is a fun subject for me to talk about. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, let's start with it. What is unusual about these early aircraft carriers? Well, you know, Jiggy, uh, you know, naval engagements in the past, you know, really with a bunch of ships shooting enormous shells at each other. But this is different now. Now they've got aircraft um, that can fly off the decks and bomb and torpedo these other ships. So... So there was a treaty restriction on the numbers of new battleships and carriers in the 1920s. So Lexington and these first aircraft carriers were converted cruisers. Their ships were built for something else, and then they laid the flight decks on on top. So it's kind of an interesting engineering feat, if you think about it, uh, you know, getting the stability in the ship. But, you know, during the pre-war years, you know, the, the crews practiced these new tactics of aircraft warfare from carrier decks. 
It is AK Patch. Check out akpatchauthor.com. It is Patches of History with us today here in our broadcast, coast to coast, border to border. Uh, tune in. iTunes, Real Loyalty, Stitcher, and the brand new Jiggy Jaguar app available in the App Store, jiggyjaguar.us. You can join the show live each and every day, or you can uh, watch our videos, find us on the Facebook as well, and social media, akpatchauthor.com for Alan K. Patch. He joins us today. Here on our big broadcast, and uh, we're we're talking about uh, naval ships, naval battles, and uh, everything else today here on our program, Patches of History. And uh, Alan's Patches of History brings us insight into the past and the present. His novels bring us adventures, escape into the past and present. Check out Passage of Delphi and Delphi's Chosen at akpatchauthor.com. What happened at the Battle of the Carl Sea, Patch? You know, Jiggy, uh, where we are today, most of us can't imagine this idea that, you know, we're, we're fighting a global war and we're kind of losing it at first. So the, in, in, in the Pacific theater that, you know, after Pearl Harbor had been attacked, the Japanese were winning everywhere. I mean, they attacked the Philippines, Hong Kong, Singapore, among others, and now they're moving on New Guinea and possibly Australia. And they have huge fleets, lots of aircraft and troops to land. But you know what? We had cracked their code. And we knew where they were going, and we sent two aircraft carriers down there, the Lexington, the Yorktown, along with a bunch of support ships, to stop them. And so this this air battle occurs, where the ships are launching their fighters and their torpedo bombers and, uh, and other planes to to discover where the other ships are. And that's what happened in this battle, because they don't they, they don't know where the other ships are. So finally, when they figure out. Then they attack, but uh, the problem is that you know this is a this is a new tactic, and and so the coordination of the attacks and the tactics themselves are just being developed and and getting it straight. So the battle was important. It was it was fought off the Coral Sea, uh, off of northern Australia, and for the first time the Japanese forces were turned back. We've got A.K. Patch with us today. He joins us live. Alan K. Patch with us today here on our big broadcast, Patches of History. And, of course, a a little about our good friend, Dr. Patch. Uh, Retired United States Navy Captain Alan Patch grew up in Plymouth, Massachusetts with a family history that precedes the revolution, leading to his fascination with the heritage of our nation. He uh, added secrets and sciences to his interest in history. Alan earned a B.S. in biology from Boston College and a TMT from Thompson University. He then spent over two decades in the Navy and uh, deployed in both Navy hospitals and active duty in the Marine Corps and has had a private dental practice while serving in the Naval Reserve. Dr. Patch expanded his interests to Greek and Roman history, which provided fertile ground for his fiction writing. He is a board member of the Friends of Classics at San Diego State University, and his website is akpatchauthor.com, akpatchauthor.com. And his books, Passage of Delphi and Delphi's Chosen, are now available. What first event in warfare occurred during this battle? This is the innovation, Jiggy. This was the first naval engagement where the ships, the surface ships, never saw each other. So, so this idea that you launch planes and you can attack with bombs and torpedoes, this was the first of its kind. So, here we have, here we have really the first air-sea battle of its kind in history. And, of course, on both sides, you know, hundreds of people died and ships were injured and there, and there were great losses. You know, what happened is, 
we sunk two of the Japanese carriers. And that was very helpful because later on, those carriers could have been used at the Battle of Midway against us. But we also suffered losses too, Jiggy, and I'll tell you about that next. We have got Alan K. Patch with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. AKPatchAuthor.com is the website. Alan's Patches of History is available each and every week, and if you miss past episodes, you can check them out on our website, JiggyCheckWire.com. AKPatchAuthor.com is the official website. What happened to the Lexington? Well, uh, you know, as, as the planes are going back and forth, dropping bombs and torpedoes, you know, our, our ship, the Lady Lex, it got hit by multiple bombs and torpedoes. Unfortunately, you know, you have the aircraft, they're, they're being fueled, and sometimes these lines get, you know, get uh, damaged by the bombs, and uh, some of these lines exploded along with the bombs and the torpedoes. Finally, the ship was doomed, Jiggy. However, they were able to evacuate, like, around 2,700 members of the crew, but over 200 died. So, finally, the captain had to abandon ship after he thought everyone was off. Now, the problem is, is to keep the ship from being taken, or maybe even as a beacon for Japanese planes and submarines and other ships, the Navy decided to sink the Lady Lexington. So they sent another ship up, ne- up nearby, and they shot like five or so torpedoes into it, and they sunk the Lady Lexington. Absolutely, absolutely amazing. It's Patches of History, Alan K. Patch. Why and how was it kept a sacred patch? Well, you know, here's the thing, uh, you know, the, the, the Battle of Midway, which was the turning point of the war in the Pacific, was just a month later. And so they didn't want anybody to know that the Lexington had been sunk. So some of these crew members, you know, were transferred off, you know, once they, they were rescued, they were transferred to different places. Some of them ended up in San Diego. When they got here, they couldn't tell anybody there that their ship had been sunk because it had not been announced. They didn't want the Japanese to know anything about what happened in the aftermath of the battle. And uh, as we said, you know, that battle was important to get us, move us forward in, in learning aircraft carrier tactics and uh, certainly served us well as we got into the Battle of Midway. One thing we got to do is yes. we always got to remember these brave servicemen and women who put their lives on the line for us. And uh, something to read about if you have the time, the, the Battle of the Coral Sea. It is AK Patch. Check us check us out akpatchauthor.com. That's Alan K Patch and uh, he's with us today here on Patches of History here on our big broadcast. Check out akpatchauthor.com for more information and uh, Alan's Patches of History brings us insights into the past and the present. His novels bring us adventures escape in the past and present. Alan Patch's fast-paced novels bring history to life in the Delphi series, where ordinary people are thrust into extraordinary situations. Passage of Delphi and the Delphi's Chosen are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at akpatchother.com. Alan, I appreciate you making time for us today, and uh, I guess we'll talk to you next week. Oh, it's amazing. You can say that all in one breath. Definitely. Well, have yourself a wonderful week, and we will definitely talk to you soon. Thank you, Alan. All right. Thank you, Jiggy. Appreciate it, my friend. There goes Alan Patch, A.K. Patch. Check out akpatchauthor.com. That is going to be your best spot to say hello to uh, Mr. Alan K. Patch. (laughs) Say hello to Alan K. Patch. Yes, do that. We are going to take a break. We'll be back with more, and uh, we'll actually just see you tomorrow.
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.